Bible with you, I'd invite you to turn there with me, Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to be reading verses 19 through to 20, the end of the chapter. We'll remain standing uh, out of honor for God and his perfect, inerrant, inspired word. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 19. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. I want to make just mention of something before we pray, and that is that the missions course is coming up now in just over a week. So starting uh, Tuesday night, September 19th, and then carrying forward for six consecutive weeks, Tuesday evenings, uh, we're going to be here uh, hearing about God's heart for the nations and uh, each of us having an opportunity to, to consider uh, what it would look like for us to be fully engaged in that. So uh, there is still space, and if you haven't signed up, just want to encourage you again. I know we've all been hearing about it, but to just consider joining us. It's going to be a, a great time to be together as a church, thinking about the nations and missions and God's uh, purposes in the world, and just an exciting time. If you come an hour before the start time at 5.30, there'll be dinner on the plaza, there's child care. So I would encourage you, if you haven't signed up, to think about doing that. Uh, and then also want to mention that this morning as we pray, we'll be praying for Eric and Debbie Smith, one of our supported missionary couples, and they're serving in Colorado, um, developing church leaders there. So with that, let's pray together. Father, we, we want to come to you and thank you that you are the God of all comfort. And thank you especially that you've comforted us by giving us the most precious treasure in the world, your son. Thank you that Christ is ours forevermore, that everybody who trusts in him and has submitted to him knows uh, with full assurance that forever and ever you have given your own son to us. And if you haven't hold, uh, held back your son, Lord, what else would you hold back? Um, Lord, we pray that you would make us a people who recognize and see by your grace uh, what a precious treasure Christ is, that you would grow and deepen our understanding of his love. Lord, would you open our eyes even this morning as we hear your word preached and as we sing together and as we pray and as we have fellowship, would you show us how unbelievable it is what you've done in sending your son as the expression of your love to live and to die and to rise again as the Lord of all. Thank you that you have loved us with such an amazing and everlasting love in Christ. Lord, we ask that you would would show us that in a deeper way this morning and in a fresh way. Um, Lord, we acknowledge as well that we are a rebellious people. And even in the last week, each of us individually and even collectively have strayed away, have pursued our own desires and ends and our own means toward those ends. And Lord, we are in need of forgiveness and grace. Thank you that Christ's blood has been shed for sinners on the cross. Thank you that he bore the wrath deserved by by uh, rebels like us. Lord, we ask for your forgiveness. Would you draw us toward yourself this morning? Lord, help us to draw near to you uh, so that you would draw near to us. We want to be a people who walk closely with you in humble obedience and submission to your word, that you would be producing the fruits of your spirit in us and growing us in holiness. Father, only you can do these things. And so um, we ask for them and we know that it's, uh, it's a joy for you to pour out blessing on your church. 
Um, Father, we want to lift up the missions course coming up, and we want to ask that you would cause it to be useful and fruitful in our church body here. Would you use these six weeks to um, enliven us to your purposes globally and cosmically? Would you help us to have hearts that beat with yours, that uh, people from all tribes and tongues and, and peoples and nations would come to see uh, Jesus as the King and Savior of the world and praise him? Thank you for the work that you're doing around the world and help, uh, help us to be faithful to fulfill the role that you've called us to fulfill. And we also want to pray for Eric and Debbie Smith. Thank you for their faithful service. And uh, Lord, you're the only one who can cause ministries and, and uh, individuals to bear fruit. And so we pray that you would use the work that they're doing in Colorado to raise up godly young men and women to serve in your church, that you would encourage them and, um, and strengthen them in their own personal walk with you. Give them joy and uh, let their lives be marked by love and peace and all the fruits of your spirit. Um, we just we thank you for them and, and, and thank you for the way they've served you faithfully. Pray that you would continue to carry them along. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your kindness towards us. We, we ask that you would work in our hearts and among us this morning, all for the glory of Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you stand if you're able as we continue to sing?
Father, thank you that we can sing these words as, as a prayer of our deepest heart. God, that you alone would be our desire. And for those of us that that isn't quite true this morning, we pray that you would bring us in alignment with the reality that you, God, are worth more than anything in the universe. And there's no greater privilege or honor or joy than to make much of you. God, we love you. We ask that we would see you in the way that we just have sung about you. We ask and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So you know it's hot in here if I lose my jacket, because you know how attached I am to my jacket. So we're here today, and God is with us as we open up our, the Word of God. Um, you know, villains will often say to a victim, where's your God? Unbelievers will even mockingly ask a believer in time of trouble, where's your God now? Mary de Guise, Regent of Scotland, mother of Mary, Queen of Scots, clashed with John Knox and once said to him, where's your God now, John Knox? It's not uncommon for a professed believer to say, where is God in my deepest need or pain? Where was God when that happened to me? If you're a believer today, you know that the presence of God is sweet to your soul. But where does he live? Where does he dwell? Is he near or is he far away? You know, we all live somewhere, we all dwell somewhere, so does God. We live usually in chosen dwellings built by someone else. You might move from one home to another, you might miss your old house, you might love your new place, uh, you might downsize, you might upsize, and then we know there are people with no place to call home. But what about God? We know he does not live in temples made with hands. In 2 Chronicles chapter 2, Solomon says, I'm about to build a house for the name of the Lord my God. And the house I am to build will be great, for our God is greater than all gods. But who is able to build him a house since heaven, even highest heaven, cannot contain him? Well, Ephesians 2.22 is where we will reside and dwell today and we'll speak of God's dwelling place God's glorious grace in saving and in this verse we'll see the answer to where God dwells Ephesians we're back in Ephesians and I'm so happy about that we are back in Ephesians that speaks of God's glorious grace Paul is summing up Christ's redeeming work in the first two chapters and Chapter 1 is just how, how glorious God's grace is as he is seen saving those he chose. Chosen, elect, predestined, sealed with an inheritance. I mean, it's all for the praise of God's glory. It's all for his glory alone. And then you get into chapter 2, and it's God's glorious grace seen in even greater detail. His saving grace, his wrath-relieving mercy, and his creative and wonderful workmanship. Every believer, the workmanship of God. And then you get into Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 22. 
It's reminding believers of their prior lost condition. Specifically, it's reminding Gentiles of their prior lost condition. And that Christ brought them peace, unified them with all believers. They built them into his new creation household or temple. There's the there is the theme of the new creation here in chapter 2 and made into one new man and Christ's redemption of the church and this unified new creation is united, it says, in one body to God in Christ that all believers of all time through Christ's substitutionary sacrifice are united, this unified church in the new creation temple really. And we know this because the revelation of God's redeeming work in Christ was an unfolding story from Genesis to Revelation. And Galatians 3.8 tells us, The scriptures, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. Even through the Messianic Psalms in the Old Testament, the unfolding mystery of Christ's coming just grew and grew to bless the world. The covenants of promise look forward to the great redemptive act of Christ, that we see all the promises fulfilled in Christ. Christ's cross work obliterated the dividing wall that kept Gentiles separate from the promised inheritance for the people of God. Paul is describing it in chapter 2 and near the end of chapter 2 with the language of citizenship. You might be a citizen of America or maybe you have dual citizenship somewhere. Well, here he's saying you are no longer strangers and aliens. This is chapter 2, verse 19. But you are fellow citizens with the saints. He's telling the Gentiles, you weren't a people before, but now you are. You are citizens of a kingdom ruled by Christ. And you are members of the household of God. You are members of God's family. You are now fellow citizens with all of God's people. You're no longer strangers. Sometimes you go to a place and you're a stranger. No one knows you. No one, no one speaks to you. Maybe you have a name tag on and they even see your name, but they're like, hey, buddy, how are you doing? But every believer here has equal standing with all believers as a full citizen of the new creation of God. This is what gives assurance when you doubt. This is what gives assurance for the confused and the disillusioned and the disappointment who are, who are you know, tempted to say, where is God or where was God? Professing believers do it all the time. You might be asking these questions today. Where was God when this happened? Where was God when I was suffering? Where is God now as I am struggling? And the answer is in Ephesians 2.22. The idea that God dwells in his chosen church forever it would bring the, the believer great comfort. That God makes his home in all that he saves by grace through faith in Christ. And what this verse does, this one verse, highlights the nature of God's dwelling place. Three truths in particular, if you want to write these down as you're taking notes. It was that the, the dwelling place of God is personally chosen first. And secondly, continually growing. And third, a permanent dwelling. It's a personally chosen, continually growing, permanent dwelling. This gives great comfort to all who are tempted to ask, where is God in this moment in my life? 
Verse 22, put your eyes on verse 22. It says, in him you also. That's how it starts. In him you also. In him, in Christ. The church is Christ's bride collectively, all the chosen, all who are cherished by him. You also. This is speaking to Gentiles and anyone who doesn't think they belong. It might be you today. That you, you say, well, I'm a believer, but I just don't belong. And you, you, you're listening to a lie. You do belong, believer. And how marvelous that choosing activity of God was and is. And you look in Ephesians chapter 1, in verse 3, it begins this way. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Then it goes on to list the blessings. Even as he chose us, elect, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption. He decreed it. He said, this is what I'm going to do according to the purpose of his will. And it's all to the praise of his glorious grace. Not to praise us for something we did, but to praise God for what he decreed. It goes on to say that we have this inheritance and that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. And it is all to the praise of God's glory. His personal dwelling place was personally chosen. God is building a new temple. Verse 20 tells us that. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. That this church he is building, this new creation temple he is building, is comprised of people that he redeems, and it's built on the teachings of the apostles and prophets. God's word was proclaimed through them. As we get into chapter 3 next week, we'll, we'll see that the mystery of Christ has been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. That the foundation of the new temple is teaching the word of God. It's unambiguous. It's very clear what God intends and what he expects. But that Christ is the cornerstone. And that is far more important than the foundation. For hundreds of years, cornerstone was the prophetic title for the Messiah. Isaiah 28, God says, I have laid in Zion a foundation, a tested stone a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. The ancient Hebrews understood this idea and the importance of the cornerstone, determined uh, the stability and the, of the foundation and the character of an entire building. God's temple in Old Testament times had huge foundation stones, 29 feet long, but it was the cornerstone that mattered the most. The cornerstone uh, dictated the architectural integrity and unity and shape of the building. Like how the walls were laid out and the dimensions. And they were all a result of the chief cornerstone. Isaiah calls this stone the tested stone. It's a stone of testing. It's not a stone that was tested by other stones. It's the stone that tests all other stones. That all the stones are adjusted to the cornerstone and built to the architect's specific specifications. Think of a home builder building a house and think of them choosing uh, the materials and the size and how it's going to be. Jesus chooses his church. Jesus determines how his church is built. So Christian, today you need to 
acknowledge and to accept the fact that Jesus chose you personally. And therefore, you are accepted in the beloved, in Christ, that you are indwelt individually, and we are indwelt corporately as a church, and it was no human achievement. We're not taking any credit. We need to humbly recognize that God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus is his new creation temple, and we are a part of of it and your decision didn't make it happen god's decision made it happen he dwells in temples made by his own hand and he dwells in temples remade according to his sovereign plan and we are a dwelling place for god by the spirit and that he dwells in us personally as believers we're not talking about universalism where people will say well everyone's going to be saved that's not true we are dwelt We are indwelt personally by God as believers and as a community. And that that dwelling place uh, foreshadows the fully realized and enjoyed new heavens and new earth. Verse 22 begins, you also. Gentiles and anyone else who doesn't think they belong. You're not a stranger. God knows you. You love him because he first loved you. 1 Corinthians Chapter 6, verse 19 says, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's, it's given as a question, a rhetorical question. Don't you know this? That your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? And you are not your own, but you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. And so many Christians go, oh, I have to stop doing bad things. It's so much more than that. God is saying, in this temporary life, he's giving you this life, this temporary life in in this body that he's given you for you to serve him. So serve him with all your might. Sometimes you feel left out of things. Sometimes you feel uninvited to parties. Now you're included forever. You have this eternal membership access card given to you by Jesus himself. That none are treated as uninvited, none are treated as unwelcome, none are treated as if they don't belong. So in the church, in the actual church, when you come into a place like this, not a building, but a group of people gathering together, collectively the church, people indwelt by the Spirit of God, then no one should be uninvited, and no one should be unwelcomed, and no one should be made to feel like they don't belong. The church made up of regenerated people, born again by the Spirit of God, not because of their decision, but because of God's, because of God's action, that should mean to us immediately that everyone counts. That everyone counts. That we have this multi-generational, multi-ethnic, multi-situational temple centered in Christ, rooted in Scripture, that needs everyone's time and talent and treasures and love and resources and encouragement and even correction. That what I think would probably be the best thing for most of us to do is to upgrade. You know, you you get an offer and say, hey, would you like to upgrade? Well, here it is. You need to upgrade your concept of the local church. It means much more than you think it does. It is more important than you think it is. And it's because God dwells in his chosen church forever. Blood-bought bride comprised of people from all sorts of different backgrounds a diverse group of people united in Christ, gospel-changed relationships should sprout up because this church, and let's just use Grace Church as an example, it includes all kinds of people of God's choosing populated with people that you might not have picked. 
And you might not have been picked. You, you, know, you know, when kids pick sides for teams, you know, like, we'll take the, the most athletic and the, the person we think is going to be the best, you know. And, we, you know, we go off of, off of uh, you know, human standards. God didn't do that. His dwelling place was personally chosen. And what you need to accept today, friend, if you're a believer, is that you were personally chosen by God. I, I, don't push that away. Don't push it away. Don't go, no, I'm not, I'm not good enough. I, I, no, I, I, no one sees this. This personally chosen dwelling place is secondly, continually growing. Look at verse 22 again. Just keep in, in the flow of verse 22 with me. In him you also are being built together. That's in the present tense and it's passive. It's continually going on. And God is at work in each of us to conform us to the image of Christ. The ones you think aren't making progress. The ones you think are miles ahead. You know, what should be happening is everyone who's a believer that... that in a local assembly, should be helping each other surrender and yield to God and serve him with all their might. There was a boat in the backyard in my hometown that was always being built and never completed. There was a house that was always being remodeled but never finished. But Christ's church is built Christ strong and is still being built and one day will be completed. You know, what, there, there's a day, and God has, has ascertained what day. He's decreed what day that, that work will stop. We don't know, but one day it will be completed. And what believers are told in 1 Peter in chapter 2 is that you come to Christ, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. And you yourselves, like living stones are being built up, being built up, it's a process, as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And if you're a believer, you are a living stone in the temple of God. These building metaphor, these, these construction terms should teach us that we're being fit together by God. Uh, this elaborate process by which stones were fitted together for a temple. Well, God is preparing and cutting and honing and sharpening and testing and prepping. And his dwelling place is, is continually being built. You got added in at some point. You didn't get born into it. You got born again by the Spirit of God. You didn't make yourself born again. God chose you, and, and you heard the gospel, and you responded to the gospel and believed, and, and you are now in Christ's church. And what you hear now is that in him, in Christ, you are being built together. Oh, for the Gentile to hear that, we're formally far off, formally excluded from Jerusalem temple by a, by a wall and by signs that threatened death if they stepped over the threshold. But now they're being told in Christ, they are formed in the wall of the new temple. They, they, are, they are literally forming the wall of the new temple. That God is reaching down and gathering stones from Death Valley. You were dead. God made you alive. And he makes you a living stone. 
They were hearing it. You need to hear it. You need to know your place in the body of Christ. You need to accept that God knows what he's doing. You look in the mirror or you look around and you think, I don't know. God knows what he's doing. It says in verse 21, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. The building is a temple. It's a dwelling of God. The temple, the inner part where deity dwelt. You know, formerly in the Old Testament economy, God dwelt among his people, seated uh, on the ark in the tabernacle, then in Solomon's temple. But now he dwells in the worldwide church. Like As you're sitting here now, if you're a believer, God is dwelling in you and he's dwelling in us. Dwelling in his people. We have the Lord's presence. Jew and Gentile alike. God dwelling with his people in the spirit is the idea. You think back. You go all the way back to Genesis. And the Holy Spirit presence in the Garden of Eden made it a sanctuary and a proto-temple. Today, his presence with his people transforms us into this regenerated new creation garden and temple. And the Ephesians, when they heard this, when they read this, they would immediately think of, if you were a a pagan Ephesian, you would have immediately thought of the great temple of Artemis of Ephesus, Diana, the seven wonders of the ancient world, this temple, largest building in the Greek world, dedicated to pagan idolatry. It made Ephesus a a worldwide important tourist attraction and moneymaker. Gentiles would think of other Temples, the pagan temples of like Temple of Aphrodite in Corinth. It was a 33 foot by 52 foot space dedicated to pagan idolatry, containing the statue of armed Aphrodite holding a shield as a mirror. The Jews, they would have thought of the temple in Jerusalem, the dwelling place of God. They, they would have, this, this Jerusalem temple, a fitting picture of a place that God manifested his presence to Israel. And you think of that temple. It was a long time being built. Josephus said that construction on Herod's temple began in 20 BC, and it wasn't completed until the early 60s AD. What this means is that as Paul wrote this letter to the Ephesians, work was continuing on that temple. And he was telling them, God has replaced the physical temple with a spiritual one, full of people filled with the Spirit of God. But the temple that, that, that Christians are now a part of is, is growing into a new temple that transcends all human buildings in, in magnificence and beauty and scope. You can look in downtown Los Angeles, look in any big city, Chicago, New York, you look overseas, and you see these you know, wonderful buildings that are built by man. And structures that they were going to crumble one day, and someday, some days they do. But here, the, the building process of, of God's new temple has only just begun. And it's still under construction. We do not know when it will be completed, but people are being added to it daily. You got added to it at some point. 
You got remade in the image of Christ to reflect his holiness at some point, and the process is still going on. This is why you and I need to keep praying for pagans and prodigals, for pagans who have no knowledge of God and prodigals that have wandered far from God. All the people that don't believe, all the people that are blinded by Satan, all the people that are held captive by him to do his will, you need to honestly tell them, as I tell you now, like this world cannot satisfy you. That you will, you will know one day, and you need to know now, that God's wrath is, is pointed at you and reserved for you, and it's due to your sin. For every unbeliever, that's what they need to know. Jonathan Edwards, on July 8, 1741, preached this. There is nothing that keeps wicked men at any one moment out of hell but the mere pleasure of God. And by his mere pleasure, I mean his sovereign pleasure, his arbitrary will, restrained by no obligation, hindered by nothing. If you're not a believer, you need to run to Jesus for refuge. You need to be telling people that as I'm telling you now. John 8.32 says, You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And if the Son shall set you free, you shall be free indeed. Then you need to receive the love of the truth to be saved. Then you need to believe the gospel and be saved. Then you need to trust in Jesus Christ and be changed by the truth and be secure forever. Jesus said it in John 10. I am the good shepherd. I know my own. They know me. I give eternal life to them, and they shall never perish. No one will be able to snatch them out of my hand. There's your assurance. There's your security. The Christ, the substitute, took upon himself the punishment that our sins deserved. And it was the great exchange, your sins for his righteousness. And Jesus said, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. So you need to surrender. Believe in the Lord Jesus. Turn from your sins to Christ. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have rebelled against God's perfect standard. The wages of sin is death. Eternal punishment beyond this life. There's good news in Jesus. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You believe it? You must. Christ came into the world to save sinners. If you're not a believer, acknowledge your sin. Repent. Turn from sin. Trust in Christ. Rely in Christ. Rely on him alone to cleanse you and forgive you. Oh, what a picture. And if you're saved, you know it. And if you're not, you must, you must, you must face it. Christ, the sovereign, almighty cornerstone, the foundational teaching of the apostles and prophets laid on him. And one by one, stones are set down, and these stones reflect the beauty and glory of Christ, which means, believer, that if you're a believer today, whether you've been a believer for five minutes or 50 years, your life displays the glory and beauty of Christ. We see the glory of God in the gospel of the grace of God in Jesus Christ, Jesus crucified, buried, risen, returning. We know the peace of God. We know the hope we have in him. As God personally chooses his dwelling place and continually grows it, why did he do it? Why did he do this? Why did he personally choose and, continually, and, and, and is continually growing this temple? Why? This verse tells us because it is his personally chosen, continually growing, permanent dwelling. This is for his permanent dwelling. God's dwelling place is a permanent dwelling place. 
Look at verse 22 again. You're being built into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. A dwelling place. A dwelling place would conjure up Moses-like promises from God that his presence would go with him and give him rest. Dwelling place would remind them of the psalmist saying, God is our refuge and strength. Psalm 46, a very present help in trouble. God is within her. She will not fall. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. It would remind them of Psalm 91, verse 1. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. It would remind them of Isaiah 57. Thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabited eternity, whose name is holy. Here's what God says. I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive us. In the Old Testament, God took up residence in the, in the wilderness tabernacle, filled it with glory such that Moses could not enter. He, he, he later filled the Jerusalem temple with his glory. But now by his spirit, he makes the church a habitat for divinity. Built together, it's passive, God is acting it's in the present tense. The building is still going on. And we are built into a dwelling place of God, the place of his dwelling, the place of his abode, the place of his settling down. You choose to live somewhere. You choose to go somewhere. You, you choose a location. You have a goal. Well, God chose the location, and it was due to his goal, his, his intention to conform us to the image of Christ. And the special place of God's dwelling, it's not in temples made with hands, neither in Jerusalem nor in any pagan temple. It is every believer. But here, and you need to see this, it signifies something deeper than just you and Jesus. It is every believer, but here it signifies the collective body of believers. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says this, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Now, we get so individualistic, and, and God wants us to be joined in what he's saying here. Here's what it's say, he's saying. Do you, that's plural, not know that you, plural, are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you, plural? Not individualistic America idea of just me and Jesus, me against the world. No. It's all believers who are expected to be in a local assembly, for, of which you should be commended that you're here in the assembly. It's plural. So it means this church, and it's even bigger than that. God dwells the entire group of believers. It is, it is simply sweet. It is otherworldly. It is mind-boggling. That former aliens have citizenship in heaven, been made a part of God's family, members of God's household, the temple of God, everything revolving around Jesus, the cornerstone. And the word of God, the teaching of the apostles and prophets, our foundation, and we're living stones, and God lives in us. But not you and just you individually, but all of us together. And, and what that does, here's what it tells us. The church is the fulfillment of the last day temple prophecies 
from the Old Testament, due to Christ's resurrection, the Spirit continues building the end-time temple. The materials are God's people and extends the temple into the new creation. It should blow your mind. You should be going, I don't get it. Good, you'll be learning this the rest of your life. Filled with God's presence through his spirit, you notice it says by or, or in the spirit. Spirit of God, the spirit of God gives life. He used the word to save us. He caused us to be born again. He's sanctifying us. He keeps us. He comforts us. He reminds us of the word. He applies the word to our hearts. He, he opens the eyes of our understanding. He, he leads us. He guides us. Brings the word of God to bear upon our hearts. People are attributing lots of things to the Holy Spirit that the Bible doesn't say. But what you need to say is the Spirit glorifies Jesus and the Spirit sanctifies by the word. And by the way, the sooner you understand it and realize how wonderful this is, that how God designed how he does things, the sooner you'll stop being disappointed in God all the time and saying God didn't show up or God didn't do this or that. It is unwise for you and I to think that God didn't come through just because we're confused about what to do in life. We're big on spaces, are we not? We like safe spaces and sacred spaces and space to roam and space to connect. And People will say, uh, we got to give God space to move as if somehow he's limited by us and we build sanctuaries and cathedrals and, and worship spaces. And we like spaces that appeal to us. We don't like smelly spaces or sweaty spaces. Sometimes we stay in temporary spaces. When I was a kid, we would go tent camping. When our kids were younger, we would go tent camping, and then we graduated to the tent trailer, never to an RV, sometimes a hotel. But sometimes people's spaces are burned down. I remember being on a camping trip once and someone's tent burned down or a house burns down or you move. But God's permanent abode is you and, and the collective church. The old covenant had the physical temple with his presence. New covenant, he fills the corporate body of believers with his presence, and you, you got to just go wow crazy. Wow mind-boggling. We're indwelt by the triune God. Well, you know what that means about us? We're united by God in Christ. We're united. You know that uh, Ephesians 2, 11 to 22, is focused on unity. The, the Gentiles have been separated, left out, alienated, barred, from God's covenant promises to Israel, but in the church, Gentiles and Jews are together by means of the blood and cross of Christ. The church is one. God made the church one. All believers and the local church, and, and that oneness, that's what makes our worship rich, not because you sing songs that make you feel good. That oneness is, is what makes our unity essential, not just because who you like or don't like, that, that oneness makes our care for one another necessary. I don't know how many times I've had friends just drop everything to, to help me with something. And I need to be like that for my friends. But you think about what the people were dealing with even as they heard this. There was a temple in Ephesus to Diana, to Artemis. There was this Jerusalem temple. And they're being told, and, and this should have comforted their hearts immensely, by the Spirit there's a better temple. And it's made from every tribe and tongue. 
And God is, 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 is residing with his united people in a new temple through the Spirit of God. And we are joined together, and we are being built together, and, and we are being related to one another in a special way. We are all growing together in Christ. And so you think about that, even as we praise God. Even as we sing a song of praise to God together, we should be cherishing the moment we're in. You think about how we should be united, and it makes no sense to say we are one in Christ and united, united spiritually but not relationally. And, and, and we're growing into that reality. You need to love the new humanity right before you. First John 4 says, By this we know that we abide in him and he in us. Because he has given us of his spirit. And we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. And God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. You can't just say, well, I love God. I just don't love my church. No, you have to love your church. You have to love all Christians. That we're in this unified eternal citizenship. That God indwells his chosen church forever. All the redeemed are the dwelling place of God. And the nearness of God, that's what's going to give you the strength you need to do what you need to do in this regard, to live in this new community together and proclaim reconciliation through Christ's blood. It's like you belong, so get along. Like the the degree of closeness that we have with God characterizes our daily existence now. It goes with all that fullness language permeating this letter you think of chapter 1 verse 23 the church which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all we are his spiritual temple you know what that means that means this isn't your church you might say to someone well this is my church but you better not mean what god doesn't want you to mean this is this is god's church not yours don't trifle with christ's bride the nature of god's church is that It is God's dwelling place by the Spirit. So this church isn't your church. It's not yours to to insist upon. God's in control. He's the the Lord of his church. The Spirit indwells us. The church yields. You know what this means that you and I should be really about? Caring for one another in uncommon and and countercultural ways that the world would not. That you would drop everything to help and to listen and to pray. And when you hear that that Jesus has overcome every division separating Jews from Gentiles, that means he's also overcome every barrier that separates people from one another today. Whether it's race or social status or political views or any dividing wall that you choose to erect, we need to showcase to the world the uniting power of the gospel. But let me ask you this question. How are you doing with that? Are you harboring pride or bitterness? Animosity toward other believers in your heart? The gospel demands our unity. We are being built together with others. It's in the present tense. The building process is still going on. The place of dwelling for God, the place of settling down, is the church. You run into that when your sin hits into that. And what fixes that is the spirit-given 
word of God, the written word of God that overcomes your feelings. Are you doubting your salvation today, maybe? Are you worried about dying? Are you upset with someone? Do you resent the loss of your freedoms? Are you mistrusting someone's motives? Are you thinking someone's withholding good from you? You need to, to love and live and, and, and learn the word of God and, and, and you know, go read Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the Bible devoted to the blessing of God's word. God has spoken. He cares for his own via the word of God. 1 John 3 tells us whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and he in him. And this by this we know that God abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. God dwells in his church. His chosen church forever. This is his dwelling place. Makes his home in us. He's personally chosen us. He's continually growing us. And it's, it's permanent. Your hope. Believer, if you're a believer today, your hope lies in the hands of Christ. But where is God in your deepest pain? Where is God or where was God when this or that happened to you? Where does God dwell? Where is God when things go wrong? Where, where is God when things go very right? Where is God when you face your biggest challenge? Where is God when you don't think you have the resources to make it? It's easy to think it's you against the world and bolster yourself with the idea that God is with you. But it is much greater than that, Christian. God is with you, yes. He lives in you, but more than that, he dwells in his church the collective body of Christ, the one you need to keep leaning into relationally, the one you need to be vulnerable with and risk and share your burdens and keep praying for and keep asking for prayer. People you need to work side by side with to bring comfort to the despairing, to bring hope to the hopeless, to bring the gospel to the unbelieving, to, to teach the up and coming, to care for those in suffering. This is the new humanity living new lives, looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth. As Revelation 21 tells us, a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Forever. Thank you, Lord, that your presence worldwide is wherever your church is. The church of people living in these easily shattered jars of clay, held together by you, the sovereign God. You never fail. Thank you, God, that you are right here with us, that we don't go off of solo agendas. We, we are community connected in Christ and we don't ask you to be with us as if we wonder if you will. We thank you, Lord, for your promised presence with us. And even to this table that we now come to to celebrate and, and everything that flows from it. May you be honored. May you be glorified as we together are indwelt always by you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. there's a very specific reason why Jesus instituted this table and that it was the unified church would get together. You're never ever told in scripture, do this alone or 
you know, do this in private. You're to do this with the gathered body of believers. Taking the bread and the cup and remembering Jesus Christ and his broken body and his shed blood in our place for our sins, for our life. Jesus instituted this table so that we would remember together and be side by side with people that you might know really well or don't know at all people that you've had wonderful times with or people that you've struggled with. And we say at the, at the foot of the cross, all is well in Christ. That we would come and do this over and over again and that we would remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Jesus said apart from, uh, God, Paul said apart from uh, the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. Christ shed his blood for our forgiveness. We're remembering that. We're remembering that he dwells in, in his church we're remembering until he comes again what he has done and what he is doing. It's far beyond what many of us sometimes think. It isn't just about me and Jesus. It's about me and you and Jesus and us together. Uh, God indwells every believer in this room right now, right this moment. And, and later on when something gets tough or something's going on, you don't just do this alone. And, and, and don't say some, no one came to my side. Just ask them. We come here today together and we're remembering Jesus. This is for believers. If you're not a believer amongst us today, you can't do this with, with any meaning. Uh, it, it, the Bible says if you take the bread and the cup in an unworthy manner, you're guilty of the body and blood of Jesus. It just means you're, you're trampling on the truth. The believer comes to the table, admits they have sinned, admits that God, that Christ has, has renewed their life and is is working in them. We just do this on an ongoing basis together. Jesus said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. We thank you, Lord as often as we eat the bread and drink the cup, we are proclaiming Christ's death until he comes again. Use us for your glory, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand if you're able as we close? Christ is mine forevermore.
announcements as we go. The missions course is starting on the 19th of this month. You can still sign up. Uh, men, this is the last day to sign up for the men's retreat. It means tomorrow you can't. Today you can. This is the last day to sign up for the men's retreat, and it's actually a hard stop on that. We have to give numbers uh, tomorrow morning. So sign up today. They gave us a little bit of an extension. Uh, let's make sure we sign up. Uh, you need to join all the guys for uh, focusing on eternal glory, 2 Corinthians, out of Pine Valley Bible Camp. Also this week, Adventure Club is starting Wednesday. Uh, midweek starts back up, midweek service. Uh, Men of the Word starts up Friday, and Grace Orange Academy starts Friday, so every, everything's starting up. And we have a lot of new members. Uh, just want to point out one in particular, Catherine Ramirez, right back over there. She's waving frantically to make sure you see her. There she is. We're so glad she's a part of the church here. And um, also... Uh, Cambodia team is gearing up and want to make sure that you uh, go see Simon outside. I believe you can't go, but you can pray and you can help send them uh, because they've already, I think they've already bought the tickets. So, um, but go out and check out some more about that and please be praying as they start up and leave on October 1. As we, as we close, uh, Hebrews 13, 20 and 21. And now may the God of peace who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will. That you is plural. Working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Thank you, Lord, for this time. We can pray and sing, hear your word. Now send us now by your grace for your glory. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Sovereign in the mountain air, sovereign on the ocean floor.